had something I came up with earlier, and then I've already started smoking, and it's all gone. So I'm Tyler. <laughs> I'm Danny. And we're the Fried Squirms. We're going to get stoned and talk about horror movies. This week's going to be Mimic. But before we get there, we got to get to our green hits. I know that we've both actually already lit up our J's, but Danny, what did you bring me today? So this week I brought over the Ghost OG Cookie Strain from local dispensary Flower, who we typically go to. I mean, not the only one, but we typically go to for our joints. And for those who are curious, this is an Indica dominant hybrid. It's like 70%, 30% split on that. So this is created by crossing the classic Ghost OG with the infamous forum cut of Girl Scout cookies. And this particular strain, it says it normally bottoms out at about 20%, but this one is like 23.8%. And with that, the effects that you'll receive from smoking, of course, so you'll have a nice body high, you'll feel relaxed, you might feel a little sleepy, and you will feel uplifted. This is known for treating such things as insomnia, muscle spasms, arthritis, anxiety, things of that nature. I mentioned to you, I thought maybe it was just me because I brushed my teeth prior to smoking a joint of this because of the mint. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, well, never mind. Because the flavors are citrus, mint, and pine, and pretty much the same aromas. The only difference there is you might get a little bit of a pungent and sweet smell. Sweet, and I mixed it up, went back to my old haunt of Greenhouse Pharmacy, love them over there. All great people. I'm just not in the area as often. And I'm also not tied to them anymore since they opened it up. I mean, yeah, exactly. I think we talked about it back in the day. Back when we were tethered, that was my jam. Like, I was a greenhouse patient. They always have good flour, though. Today, I brought you some Chunky Skunk. When I went to look up information on Chunky Skunk, there is a Chunky Skunk strain. Though, if I'm going to be completely honest, I don't know if the strain that I'm looking at is what that actually is or if they made their own version mm. of Chunky Skunk because they very often breed pineapple chunk and have some sort of skunk lying around. So there is a Chunky Skunk strain that is probably Afghani mixed with Acapulco Gold and Columbia Gold. I've also heard that strain referred to simply as skunk number one. I'm kind of actually guessing that it's probably skunk number one mixed with pineapple chunk. Nice. Which also actually has some skunk number one in its lineage. <laughs> there you go. Well, those three strains that you had mentioned, I believe they're all land race strains too. Mm -hmm. So I'm already down with that. Either way, it's a hybrid that's going to be a little bit more sativa dominant. Like I said, I kind of doubt that they're running the chunky skunk that I just looked up. I have a feeling they mixed pineapple chunk with some I'd super say. skunk. No worries. <laughs> I'm liking it regardless. <laughs> but because I don't know for certain, I can't say too much more beyond that. But I do also want to point out, because we were both looking oh, at this. If I'm going to be completely honest about their flower, most of it tastes the same, except they have the best silver tip in town. But it's always been exquisitely done. Like, I love their buds that I get from them. But holy shit, I went in and picked up some Pineapple Express from these motherfuckers. That is testing at 37%. Yeah, that's crazy, man. That's the most I've seen anywhere in town, I think. Yeah, I mentioned that to you as well. That might be the highest I've seen on flower. I've seen a couple get close, but probably only 32 to 35%. Yeah. I was going to say, that's about where I've seen it top out, about 33, 34. Yeah, I want to say that one of the times I was in Greener Pastures, they had something that was testing at like 35. But Ooh, still. 37? Damn. 
I just wish that I liked Pineapple Express more. It's fine. Like, yeah. I have nothing against it. That's for goddamn sure. But uh, it doesn't quite have the flavor profile I usually go in for. Man. Yeah, I will say, I mean, this is a little off. Well, still on the same topic, just a little off on a tangent. So those Tropicana cookies might be the best tasting ones I think I've had. So good. So good. Or a fucking fresh batch of the fucking Tahitian lime from oh, Stokes. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Holy those shit. two are like woo, mm, so tasty. You know, while we're sitting here with our green hits for a second, some of this is a little bit old now, but we didn't really ever talk about it on the show, and we don't really do a news segment anymore. But I know a couple things popped up that we're both interested in. I thought we could bring up for a second. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm cool with that. Rob Zombie's gonna be doing the monsters. Well, you and I and everybody who listens to us should know how we feel about Rob Zombie. Fucking love him. Yeah, and so I'm on board. I think he is one of those guys that has that vision for this kind of stuff. I mean, because he grew up on it, and this is his wheelhouse. If I remember right, the House of a Thousand Corpses house is right next to the Monster's house. Yeah, I think you're right, on the same lot and all that stuff, yeah. Like, I know that from reading interviews and stuff with him, like, he used to go eat his lunch on the Munster's porch while filming that fucking flick. That's he awesome. is a huge fucking fan. I can't wait to see what he does with it. I don't know if I'm going to like what he does with it, though, if I'm going to be completely honest. like That's okay. I like him, but I, you know, I've pointed out in the past, like, he's made missteps. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to be fair and honest, yeah, there's some stuff in there where I'm like, ah, I could do without. And, like, I'm pretty sure they've already announced that Sherry, of course, is going to be Lily. That was kind of a given, <laughs> you know. It's Which, okay, though. I mean, I could have told you that, and I'm not <laughs> sure if I'm happy about it, but yeah. it was a given. Sherry is going to be in it somewhere. So, sure, Lily. That's okay. Better than, a, what, what's her name, the normal one? Oh, shit. She's too old for that shit now. Like, yeah. no offense, Sherry, but you're too old for that shit. Right, and I agree. <laughs> the other thing, Brian Fuller's doing Christine. Oh, dude, yes. Fuck yeah. I'm okay with that. I haven't seen the OG Christine in a long time. But, once again, if someone's going to do it, people should know we're fanables. We're fans of Brian Fuller. I'm pretty sure he also wants to do it as a period piece. So it'd be an 80s piece with uh, Christine still being, what, a 50... Mm. Oh, I'm going to try to pull this out of my ass. I might be wrong. 56 Plymouth Fury. Oh, yeah. Damn. Let's see. Are you going to fact check me? Yeah, I'm just just curious. Yeah, I'm curious, too. You are close. It's a 58. Mm. But close. But I was right on Plymouth Fury? Yeah. 58 Plymouth Fury. Hell yeah. So, yeah, the one from 84, I think a lot of people recognize. You know John what I mean? Carpenter, right? Yeah. So I am curious to see what Brian Fuller does with this, with his vision. And if he keeps it close to the source, and we know he likes homages, so we'll see. Okay. If he keeps it close to the source, how many kids are going to think that they ripped off Christine talking through songs on the radio from Bumblebee? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, damn probably right it's just a product of its era you know Mm -hmm. some kids can't help it but we know we We know better we know the truth i might have to reread christine before that actually comes out because it has been since high school nice gives us some time in between Mm -hmm. yeah i just wanted to bring those up like i said we don't touch on the news too much anymore because it's hard to keep up on it to be completely honest but i don't know those were two creators that i knew that we were both like "Ooh, yeah you're going to do something else let's go yeah let's go so we'll keep our eyes and ears peeled for when some of this stuff comes up. Because you never know. We might catch it at the theater. Agreed. 
I guess let's get into the guts and bolts. I was going to try to make it more buggy, but <laughs> guts and bolts still work. Of Mimic. Guts and bolts. All right, guts and bolts for Mimic. The who and what went into the making of this flick. Start off with our spoiler-free setup. A disease breaks out in New York that's killing children almost exclusively, threatening to wipe out a generation. They manage to confine it to the island, but still need to work on a way to get rid of it. In comes a genetic scientist who breeds a new version of cockroach slash termites that have been engineered to secrete off a thing that kills them and then die themselves. Disease goes away, but three years later, people suddenly start disappearing. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> exactly. So we also like to talk about the people who go into making the film and the actors and actresses in front of our screens. And this week is a gentleman we've talked about before. This has been a while, though, since we've talked about him. I know we went to the theater and... It's been a long fucking time. I mean, we went and seen Shape of Water but first off, it's a monster movie, but not a horror movie. Exactly. So we didn't end up talking about it. Much. No, we just went, <laughs> you know, so it's, <laughs> we still like the guy, but we officially, and latest one <laughs> was episode 32 when we talked about Kronos. Jesus Christ. Kronos was that long ago. It's been a long time. And it makes sense. And when you kind of look back on some of these films, like, wow, it has been that long. But as if anybody needs an introduction, a few other films of note He's done such films as The Devil's Backbone. You might have seen his work on Blade Two, Hellboy, and its sequel, Hellboy Two, The Golden Army, Pacific Rim, Crimson Peak. You might have seen his work on Pan's Labyrinth, and we've already mentioned The Shape of Water, so pretty awesome. Oh, GDT, how I love thee. One other thing of note that I do like, I need to actually read these novels because I do own them, but he worked with Chuck Hogan, on the Strain trilogies, mm, mm -hmm. and it was turned into a live-action television series starting in 2014, and it ran through 2017. And of course, he's produced, written, executive produced a lot of different things for DreamWorks and beyond. So he's got his hands all over stuff. It's really cool. And has announced 15 times more projects than that that have just never come. I to know fruition. we've <laughs> talked about him several times. Like, hello, man, let's get on some of these. All right, so we have a couple of different writers on this. We have. Donald A. Wolheim, which the short story Mimic is based on. We also have Guillermo del Toro, of course. He worked with Matthew Robbins, who's responsible for such films as Dragon Slayer. You might have seen his work, or he actually helped write the screenplay, I should say, for Batteries Not Included and Crimson Peak. Cinematographer, we have Dan Lautzen. This gentleman's got some really cool stuff. All right, let's start off with, I don't know, projects as like Night Watch and Just Another Love Story. He also helped with Crimson Peak and The Shape of Water and John Wick's Chapter 2 and Chapter 3. Oh, that Night Watch. Okay. I was curious which Night Watch, if it was oh, I the think vampire it's Danish. one or not. Yeah. yeah. No, it was the other one from the mid-90s. Okay. Yeah, he's also worked on such things as Brotherhood of the Wolf, Darkness Falls, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Silent Hill, Deliver Us from Evil, yeah, Nightmare Alley. It's in post-production with GDT. So, yeah, man, some pretty cool stuff there. All right, we do have a couple of different editors on this. We have Peter Devaney Flanagan and Patrick Lissier, and I'll start with Peter. And this gentleman's got some interesting films. Go back, he's done such things as The Prophecy 3, The Ascent. We talked about it, I think, last week briefly, but Dracula 2000, he was the editor on that. 
who is also the editor on Dead and Breakfast, actually a film I've talked about a few times. He's also the editor, I'm thinking more recently, on a couple of projects that are in pre-production, 13 Steps in Hurricane. And I did mention Patrick Lussier, and we've actually talked about him before. Patrick Lussier, yeah. by the way, bringing up Dracula 2000, was the director of Dracula 2000. Well, we talked about him all the way in episode 19 because he helped edit a little Wes Craven film entitled Scream. Some people might have heard oh, of it. Shit, that's right. Yeah, so look at some of his just editing work. And he's worked on the television series MacGyver, did 16 episodes from 89 through 91. He's also worked on Highland, the series. He did three episodes back in 93. Then he went on to do such things as Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Vampire in Brooklyn. Doctor Who, the made-for-TV movie. D3, The Mighty Ducks. That's awesome. Yeah, Scream 2, Scream 3, Halloween H2O 20 years later, the film My Boss's Daughter, Red Eye Cursed, The Eye, Apollo 18. Yeah, Red Eye is good. Look at this. He was a director on The Purge television series back in 2019 on the episode Before the Sirens. So... Yeah, he's got his hands need, on all kinds of stuff. I still want to watch the Purge TV series. I, just, I need to. I need to as well. Have you started seeing the trailers for the Forever Purge? Yeah, I you know have. we're going to have to go I watch sure it because we've covered the rest of them. Uh, it's just, you know, it's a part of what we do. <laughs> all right, here's another gentleman we've actually talked about, and this was composed by Marco Beltrami. Once again, we talked about him on episode 19 when we reviewed Scream. We talked about him on episode 97 for Joyride and episode 193 when we reviewed The Faculty. And for a list of other films, you can go through his filmography. He's got an extensive list, but those three right off the top of my head, and because we reviewed them, are pretty decent ones as well. Ooh, shit. He did the James Mangold 310 to Yuma? There you go, dude. By the way, I'm looking through his filmography right now, and to pull out just that one thing feels weird, (sighs) because... Fuck, holy shit, but anyway. <laughs> okay, so special effects were done by Character Shop. They helped with the creature effects. Digiscope helped with the digital effects. FX Smith, he helped with additional creature effects and special makeup effects on this. We have Gadge Decky visual effects. They helped with the models and miniatures. Hybrid Technologies helped with the visual effects. And J-Jam Productions also helped. And I did want to bring up one gentleman in particular, Rob Botton. Why do I bring him up? Well, he helped with the creature design for the film. And when you look at just a couple of things that he's worked on, I mean, he's a pretty decent name when it comes to special effects and makeup. So you might have seen his work on such films as RoboCop, Total Recall, Seven. He's also worked on John Carpenter's The Thing as well, way back when. He's worked on Maniac, a film we reviewed. He went uncredited, but he helped with the makeup on that. The Howling, this is crazy. Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. The film Explorers, another one I really liked growing up. He also helped more recently with Game of Thrones, the Lion and the Rose episode back in 2014. But just a lot of really cool films, man. I wanted to bring him up really cool. Produced by Ole Bornadal, BJ Rack, and unfortunately, Bob and Harvey Weinstein. Unfortunate for a number of reasons. Yes. We'll talk about that more. But Yes. For more than just the obvious reasons. Yeah. Because of this, it was produced by Dimension Films and Miramax. The distributors, once again, were Dimension Films and Miramax Films for the 1997 United States theatrical release. It had a release date in Italy at the Fanta Festival in June of 1997, and here in the States on August 22nd, 1997. The budget was $30 million. It grossed an estimated $25.5 million. And we do have a tagline for thousands of years, Man has been evolution's greatest creation until now. 
I mean, not a bad tagline. No. I think it fits more for the short story. Ooh, I think you're right. I'm not going to argue with that. (laughs) But we can talk about why that is in the upcoming section after we give you some warnings. Warning. Well, oh, in the cast. Oh, did I just get past the? Fine, fine. We'll talk about the entire (laughs) cast then. Whatever. All right. So moving into the cast, I'm going to start off with Mira Servino. She plays the role of Dr. Susan Tyler. I mentioned to you last week. Back when I was hitting my stride with hormones, 13, 14, 15, <laughs> I had a big old crush on Miss Sorvino. Mainly, this is kind of interesting. She was in a film with Ashley Judd back in, I think it was like 95, I want to say. And the interesting thing about that was this is back when you could get like the TV guy that was made specifically for HBO mm-hmm. and Cinemax. Right. But she was in Norma Jean in Maryland. So I remember seeing the cover of that. They had a little write-up about her. But just a couple of things of note, because she's been in a ton of films. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, she did win an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress in the film Mighty Aphrodite. She's also been in such films as Roma and Michelle's High School Reunion. She was in The Replacement Killers. Some people might have seen her in Summer of Sam, which actually I like that movie a lot. She was in Gods and Generals. You might have seen her in such things as Smitty. More recently, such things as The Girl Who Believes in Miracles, Hero Mode. And then she's got a couple of projects coming up, The Last Job and Sound of Freedom. All right, moving forward, we have Jeremy Northam plays the role of Dr. Peter Mann, which is funny, man. All right, the reason I say that, why is that funny? Because not too long ago, we did a little film called Scary Movie, and there was a Mr. Man... <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> kind of shit. So anyway, Mr. Northam has been in such films as An Ideal Husband. You might have seen him in Gosford Park. He was also in Amistad, The Winslow Boy, Enigma, and Martin Lewis. He also played Thomas More in the Showtime series The Two Doors. And you might have seen him in The Crown, which is a Netflix series, as Anthony Eden. Thanos is in it. Dude, how crazy is that? We're talking about Josh Brolin. He plays the role of Josh Maslow. Dude, all right. Talking about going way back. Goonies never die. So if you've ever seen the Goonies, you've probably seen him. He was also in such things as Hollow Man. You might have seen him in Grindhouse. Really awesome. Not just movie, but book. I highly recommend reading it. Is No Country for Old Men. Cormac McCarthy. Mm. Any of his novels are really good, but they're bleak. He was an American gangster. He played George Bush in the film W. He was in Milk, True Grit, Men in Black 3, Inherent Vice, Everest, Sicario, Hell Caesar, Deadpool 2. You've already mentioned he was Thanos in Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. So, I mean, come on, dude. He's remake old boy. Yeah, he is. You're right. Damn, isn't that crazy? <laughs> but you're right. He is remake. He's old, old boy. boy. <laughs> oh, that's a... A whole different discussion. All right. <laughs> we have Charles S. Dutton plays the role of Officer Leonard Norton. And, man, you're talking about, for me, a throwback, right? And the reason I say that because I used to watch a lot of 90s television, early 90s, mostly kind of African-American-centric. But mm-hmm. I did watch Rock, where he starred as Rock Emerson for 72 episodes back in 91 through 94. He was also in an episode, actually two of them, as Captain Jonas Cutter in Are You Afraid of the Dark back in 93. Really awesome. He was in the episode The Tip. That was for the television series Oz, where he played Professor Alva Case. Who I probably would have first seen him in Rudy. 
Rudy. Rudy. Hell yeah, dude. He was in Alien 3, A Time to Kill, Cookie's Fortune, and Gothica. And he also was in the television film The Piano Lesson. So very decorated actor, man. I like him a lot. I'm glad he's in this one. All right, we have Giancarlo Giannini. He plays the role of Manny. I don't know how you say his last name properly. It might be Gavuola. Gavuola. So I don't know. Anyway, it just goes by Manny. This gentleman, wow. Let's see. He was the Cannes Film Festival Award for Best Actor for his performance in Love and Anarchy. He received an Academy Award for Best Actor in Seven Beauties. He was the French MI6 agent Renee Mathis in James Bond's uh, Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. Ooh, what other stuff can we talk about? Because he's been in a ton of shit. So he's the official Italian voice for Al Pacino. That's, that's when Al Pacino gets dubbed in Italian. It's him. That's him. How fucking nuts is that? That's pretty big, man. I know we've briefly talked about some of these different actors and actresses, foreign, who do voice typically Western actors Mm -hmm. and actresses. It's pretty remarkable, but yeah, it's kind of neat seeing him do that. So I think maybe in the next section, I'll talk a little bit why he was chosen for this role. So this is more interesting. They have a list here of his dubbing roles where he's dubbed over voices for live action. Sunny and Dog Day Afternoon. Damn. Steve Burns and Cruising. Oh, shit. Richard Roman, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Okay. Carlito and Carlito's Way. Some of these just make sense, but right? Because we already know he's out, right? Yeah. What do we got here? We got uh, Jack Torrance in The Shining. Wow. Frank Costello in The Departed. Gordon Gecko in Wall Street. Gordon Gecko in Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps. <laughs> Jesus, man. This is insane. I'm skipping over a shit ton. I'm just trying to pick out some of these, like, dude is not just Al. He's, like, everybody. You know what I mean? Like, if you watch those movies in Italian, you hear this guy's voice over some really fucking big stars. That's pretty awesome, man. All right. Another big name I'm about to bring up. We have F. Murray Abraham as Dr. Gates. I love F. Murray Abraham. <laughs> yeah, just a few things of note. He was in All the President's Men. Some people might have seen him in the 1983 film, a Brian De Palma film, Scarface. He was in The Name of the Rose. You might have seen him in Last Action Hero, Star Trek Insurrection, Finding Forrester, and The Grand Budapest Hotel. He's also voiced characters in Isle of Dogs and How to Train Your Dragon in the Hidden World. And it says he currently stars in the Apple TV comedy series Mythic Quest. Oh, nice. Okay. All right. We have Alexander Goodwin. He plays the role of Chewy. And a few things of note from him. He was in the film Nobody's Fool, Box of Moonlight, I'm Not Rappaport, and the film Illuminata. All right. We have Norman Reedus, gentleman we've actually talked about before. He plays the role of Jeremy. He's kind of like, I don't know, what would you call him in this? Like some kind of waterworks person, maintenance guy? He almost seems more like he's the morgue attendant that's like... I don't think this is his real role, right, but he's know, but basically the, the morgue attendant that is specifically for sewer shit. It's kind of weird, but you're right. That's right. kind of the role he's playing, even though I think you're right, he's technically a sewer employee and has nothing to do with the morgue. But Yeah, I don't know. They didn't really go into details about it, but that's what he is. Mm-hmm. All right, we did talk about him back on episode 170 when we talked about a John Carpenter episode of Masters of War when we reviewed Cigarette Burns. A few other things of note, some people might recognize him as Daryl Dixon in the Walking Dead series. 
Some people might also recognize him because he was in the Boondock Saints in its sequel, The Boondock Saints 2, All Saints Day. He was also Scud in Marvel's Blade Part 2. He was Marco in Deuces Wild. Some people might also recognize him for his work on the AMC TV show Ride with Norman Reedus. Another gentleman we've talked about several different times. We've talked about Julian Richens. Yeah, I almost forgot he was in this. Yeah, he's a workman. He's Mm -hmm. a part of the crew that we just mentioned. We've talked about him for several different reasons. We talked about him all the way back on episode 42, surprisingly enough, because we talked about him on Hannibal season three. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. I was about to say, like, I knew that 42 wasn't Cube. (laughs) Nope. We're getting there. We talked about him on episode 56 in The Witch. We talked about him on episode 111, Urban Legend. And last but not least, we talked about him on episode 125 when we reviewed Cube. And he's been in a ton of other fucking films. Just look through his filmography. But I think those four for us, plus this one is five. (laughs) I don't think we have to mention a whole lot more. I completely forgot that he was in The Fucking Witch. He's the judge, though, right? Yeah, he's the one that, like, excommunicates them. We've talked about him before, not in an official review, but I'm speaking of Doug Jones, who plays the role of Long John Number 2. Who? Yeah. Doug Jones. Talking about Doug Jones. He's talking about the guy who, if you've ever seen a creature feature from our generation, you've probably seen some of his bodies of work because he has worked with Guillermo del Toro, in the films Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, Crimson Peak, and The Shape of Water. He's also worked on the films Hocus Pocus, where I believe he was the Ichabob Crane character. He's also been in Tank Girl, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. He was in Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, Absentia, Ouija, Origin of Evil, and The Bye Bye Man. You might have also seen him on such series as Falling Skies from 2013 through 15. He also worked on The Strain from 2014 through 16. And since 2017, he's portrayed Captain Saru in Star Trek Discovery. Oh, I forgot about that. I knew that, though, because I don't watch it, but I see news for it all the time, checking out news for the other podcasts. So Pretty cool. All right. And last but not least, I have Alex Coramze. She plays the role of Remy Panos. And just a few things of note from her. She does have some really cool films. She was in Kindergarten Cop. Some people might have recognized her when she was in Ghost in the Machine as the punk girl. She was also in such things as The Girl with Hungry Eyes. She was also in the 1997 Nightwatch film. She was in Children of the Corn 666, Isaac's Return. She reprises a role in Mimic Part 2. She's also in Bloodwork, Seven Songs, and the 2006 film Cinema Fabrique Number One. So yeah, that pretty much rounds out our cast and crew. You gave us a brief setup. Should give you some warnings. I already tried to jump the gun on the warnings. Now we're to them. Warnings: Big bugs. First off, bugs are squicky. Like that's a warning. Yeah, if you're averse to cockroaches, insects in general. Dude, if you especially don't like cockroaches, then you especially shouldn't Ooh. watch this movie. Yeah, this one's gonna. Ring all the bells. You know, your There's, typical cussing. So any of the things that would be considered gore happen to the insects. So it's not like human gore. No, I mean, there's, there's one... There's violence towards humans and, like, some blood and shit. Right. I wouldn't necessarily call it gore, but there's some leg stuff that happens to one of the characters. Yeah. But that's about the extent. Some way more violent is implied, but you don't see anything. 
That's true. There is some kid violence. Yes. We do have to mention that. There's some good dog gore. There is. I'm trying to think outside language. Of that. Exactly. I think that's it, right? Yeah, it's pretty mild for the most part. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's GDT, so yeah. you're not going to get like super heavy. And was it rated R? Like they say, fuck enough times that I feel like I it must so. have been. Yeah, it's rated R. Okay. It's rated R. Yeah, I was going to say they say fuck enough times that. Yeah, I mean, it's not like the hardest R in the world. It wouldn't take very many cuts to get this to PG thirteen, but it's also not quite PG thirteen fair. And it's mere max. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I guess let's just get into it and we can talk about it more and find out how mimic made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? Alright, so Mimic. 1997. I was trying to think back on it. I'd seen this one before. I'll just start off with that without even asking it or throwing it out there. But I don't think I've seen it since 99 at the latest. But I'm gonna guess probably more likely mid-98. But I was also thinking about it, and this was probably the first Guillermo del Toro movie I ever saw. I wouldn't have known it at the time, and I wouldn't have been able to pick out his hallmarks like I can now. (laughs) Solid point, yeah. I think this would have been the first GDT movie I've seen, and it was long enough ago that going into this, all I could tell you was cockroaches. Like, this might as well have been a fresh watch for me, other than I knew giant cockroaches. Gotcha. Well, you know, in reviewing this... It's like, I do remember when this came out, I was like 15, going on 16. But I don't think I ever watched it, man, when it came out. I just don't think I ever did. After watching it, it's like, I don't remember watching this. So I think this might be my first two times watching the film. And I mean, I'm glad I watched it because of all the other GDT films that we've already mentioned. It's like, it's nice to knock another one off the list. Mm-hmm. So this is definitely not my first one, but I'm glad that I have watches, put it that way. So first... I guess I got to ask, did you watch the director's cut? I did. Good. Okay. So we're going to be on the same page there. Not that there's a lot of difference. I looked up what all the differences happen to be because it's roughly six and a half minutes. It's six extra minutes, but there's a scene that's like a 24 second scene that's taken out. Yeah. I read too that when he was asked to come back to help Mm -hmm. with the director's cut, there was a lot of stuff that was lost. Yeah. Because I know that there was an alternate ending that was shot. It's not the one that he wanted, but there was an alternate to the one that we got that was shot that somehow did not make it on the director's cut, which even though I feel like it would have been more up his alley. We alluded to a little bit. I mean, it was super vague, but one of the producers had a heavy hand and how some of this shit was shot. So (laughs) an extremely heavy hand to the point where after this, GDT wouldn't work with Miramax or the Weinsteins ever again. Good on him for that. Like producer barging on set demanding certain scenes be shot like things be changed the fuck out of here gdt agreed to do this movie because he was told there wouldn't be guns explosions or i think even like a love interest angle Hmm, that's funny guess what this movie yeah right (laughs) yeah it's like yeah wait hold up wait a minute i know guns and explode let me look up the other one real quick i know that it was two of those at least Oh, yeah, he only agreed to do this film on three conditions. No guns, no big explosions, no happy ending. Oh, damn. Well, even <laughs> love interest, if you throw that one, and that's four out of four. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he cared about I mean, love, he's down with the love interest. Yeah, I mean, even, but... regardless, three out of three with those three, and four out of four if we include that one. <laughs> I'm just saying, regardless, 100%. So, crazy. 
watching this kind of knowing a little bit of that i looked up more of the details afterwards but like i don't know like i kind of got sad that we never got his version because you can see bits of it peeking through you certainly can that's true and especially when you actually stop to think about the changes that were made for the director's cut because it's not much but when you're thinking about how the story lays out you're like oh okay you try to at least make it make thematic sense out of this bullshit like that the last act turns into right because i love the rest of the movie up until the last act where i kind of just check out because i've seen it you know what i mean like the last third of this movie turns into generic we got to get away from a big spooky monster threat. Yeah. spooky threat that we happen to be able to kind of explode <laughs> if we need to right and everybody well not everybody but you know our main protagonists arrive once everybody is in the subway system you can almost guess what's going to happen next for the rest of the movie. It does become very trope-ish. Up to that point? It's good. Good. I agree. It keeps you and interested. In fact, even though that ending is kind of generic, it's not bad. No, I mean, it fits for what the yeah. hell is going on. Like, even though you know the action beats that are coming, it doesn't mean that some of the action isn't fucking cool. Exactly. And some of the visuals are cool and shit. Like, it's still GDT directing, so yeah, some of the some shots really are stuff. really well shot. He gets a good performance out of all the actors. Yeah. It's not his fault. He was so fucking hamstrung into what it ends up being. Exactly. Like we said, all three of those things <laughs> that he didn't want end up being very prominent in the end. There you go. So we've talked about that before. Knowing some of those things, at least for me, it gives me you know, more incentive not to trash films or like to be so harsh on them when you know that there's been too many cooks mm -hmm. in the kitchen. <laughs> and especially who this fucking cook is. Yeah, I'm like, Jesus, man, are you fucking serious? So, yeah, good on Del Toro for, like, saying, fuck you guys, I'm not working with you ever again. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting in a way because I was talking to one of our friends who's been on the show before, Steven, and we were trying to figure out where this film fell in line in Del Toro's filmography, and we couldn't remember if this was, like first english language film right and this is his follow-up to chronos mm -hmm. and i'm like okay you know given those facts and given that this was his first english speaking film not bad but like i said given the brevity of the situation too could have been a lot worse mm -hmm. there's some interesting things a little bit further on we'll get into that it would have changed some of the narrative in this film too but like I said, like as much as I just harped on the last part of this a little bit, I overall ended up really liking this movie. You can see the strengths through the obvious weaknesses. Certainly can. There's a film around the same time period that we reviewed not too long ago that would probably be a good double billing for this with The Relic. Mm. I think those films, these two films, I should say, are pretty decent companion pieces. I think the unfortunate thing is that they shouldn't have been. Agreed. But, given the circumstances, given the facts... I agree, though. I agree. It feels very much along those same lines. They follow certain beats. They're both creature features. So, that opening, the <laughs> bunch of kids in the hospital with respiratory problems. Wow. Too soon. <laughs> Woo! There was some things in this film that I'm glad they did because it gave it a different tone and different touch. Mm -hmm. Like, whoa, they're actually doing it. And that was one of them. <laughs> Having these kids, like, hyperventilating, just, like, on the verge of dying. I mean, it's all acting, of course, but give those kids credit. 
That was just like, oh, I forgot why they made these bugs. I forgot that they made the bugs, to be honest. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. And that's kind of where some of, you could say the critique starts in the fact that these are hybrids and that there's nothing wrong with that. What I'm getting at was the vision because GDT wanted them to have a different appearance than what they actually had. So I think he wanted to follow the short story a little closer, Mm -hmm. more so than kind of a praying mantis kind of, hybrid with a termite right you well, know and there's nothing wrong with that did you ever read the short i never I, had i, never I was going either. to after i found out it's a short story and then i just did not give myself enough time this weekend likewise but i do know a few things about it they're just natural in that right they just evolved exactly which i think makes more sense with uh some of the things that we get out of gdt's planned ending thank you also, it very much seems like Hollywood exec meddling to make this entire story, ooh, science is bad. Can't help but feel that. Because that's the, right? This is kind of science bad. Man playing movie. God. Genetic engineering. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of that going on prior to 97, 96, all that stuff. But it's kind of the advent of kind of modern day genetic engineering and modifying and things of that nature. But it follows that narrative, you know, man playing God, so to speak. Ooh, one other thing I want to bring up before we're too far into the movie about the director's cut. Recolored, remastered sound. I remember this movie when I watched it the first time being a lot more green. I'm so glad the director's cut wasn't so green. Yeah, because that's not really his palette. I mean, he works with those colors, but Mm -hmm. he tends to work with some really cool dark tones and blues and things of that nature. I think the movie looked great. Oh, like the director's cut. Other than the effects, it looks modern. I agree. It did look like it just came out a few years ago. It could have even come out this year, for that matter, the way it looked. And I think the original green filter would have dated a lot more. Yeah, it would have. It would have definitely felt 90s. Mm -hmm. Also, thank you for that, GDT. Man, no doubt. Because I feel like I had a much better watching experience than I... (sighs) Like, I barely remember anything about back in the day, but just thinking about, <laughs> like, how some of these scenes would look differently colored, I'm like, no, no, thank you, GDT. Thank and you. grainy, depending on your mm-hmm. VHS player and the heads and all that stuff, too. Oh, yeah, because I definitely would have been watching it on VHS. So it would have had a whole different look mm-hmm. and feel. Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding Pro- me? <laughs> probably why I didn't like it so much as to rewatch it between then and now. Makes sense. If I, if I was... That's all I can think of. It didn't make a good enough impression on me, even though now rewatching it, I'm like, parts of this are fantastic because GDT shows full on through. I agree. You can't help but agree with that. <laughs> uh, anyway, we were talking about the difference. Was it some of the short story differences, right? So they're right. natural. What's the difference in the look or how did he want them to look? I believe he wanted them to be more like, kind. Of, I mean, they kind of do it a little bit, but more of the shadowy creatures. Mm. Oh, yeah, because in the short story, they look enough human that they actually move around in daylight, like in crowds and stuff. Yeah. They more rely on people not paying attention because they're moving through a crowd is just like a person in a fucking trench coat. Yeah, so there was some of that. More so towards the end, I'll get into some other things. But just right off the bat, there was a little bit of differences on how they wanted to have these creatures look, Mm -hmm. you know. But I will say this. And the effects department, the creature design, all that stuff, they fucking nailed it. Holy shit. It looks good. It looks good. It looks good. Since we're still sort of in the beginning of the movie, one of the things I didn't like, I just fucking sucked GDT off for the recolorization. (laughs) That green would have hid the face on the first creature you see a little bit better. 
Because I feel like you see too much of it the first time you see it. Yeah, we don't need to see that much of it. It should look more just like a human the first time you see it to really ratchet up the tension. You see enough of the features of its face that you're like, ah, no. no. No, no, exactly. Solid point. Yeah, you don't want to give away too much too soon. I mean, you kind of know going into it. I remember the trailers and shit for it. You kind of know yeah. that it's big insects, but like, you still don't need to give it a fucking way. Like, play the story, bring us in. Give us something. <laughs> You're right. All right. So up to this point, pretty much what I've written down was the whole premise of this film starts off with this disease. We kind of alluded to that. It's called Strickler's disease. It tends to affect children. It either paralyzes them, the ones that are fortunate, leaves them crippled, or the less fortunate pretty much kills them. And they brought in, and when I say they, the CDC, Peter Mann. He enlisted the help of Dr. Susan Tyler, who is Mira Servino, and she happens to be an entomologist. She created that engineered hybrid I already mentioned, the praying mantis and the termite. It releases an enzyme that's supposed to speed up the metabolism of cockroaches, meaning that they can't like keep up with the demand of how much calories they're burning, so they wind up starving to death. Mm-hmm. And we get to see the effects of that. And it looks like it wiped out all those fucking cockroaches. They also have a lifespan of just a few months. So after six months, it looks like the disease has been eradicated. It looks like she saved the day. Everything's hunky-dory. Then we fast forward three years later, and it opens up with a Chinese guy escaping. You're already here in the spoiler section, but right. <laughs> one of the mutated, evolved... Uh, what they call the Judas breeds. Yeah, yeah, the Long Johns. The Long Johns. (laughs) Long John Silvers. So what I thought was kind of funny about this scene, if you're really paying attention, you have a Chinese priest who's on a building that says Jesus saves, and he winds up jumping down and winds up dying anyway. (laughs) I was like, oh, the sweet irony. The jumping down was super fucking neat, I thought, because they used the white paint. Mm -hmm. So... By using the paint splat because of where his head lands, you have an extremely graphic blood splat without it actually being blood. Solid. But the white calls back to the scene just before when we had seen the white Judas bug excretions. Yeah, that's a solid point. fucking genius. I was like, bravo, Guillermo. I see exactly (laughs) what you did. And like, it did make that death a little bit more graphic, even though it was white, not red straight popping out. A solid point, man, because it's still like, whoa, damn. Mm -hmm. You know, sudden. Which I kind of like that stuff that they did in this film. Like, they weren't shy about taking out characters. Yeah. I was surprised at how not shy they were about taking out characters. <laughs> like, I thought more people were going to survive by the end no, of this movie. No, like anybody and everybody can be a victim. And then that's kind of the introduction to Chewie, because shortly after the Chinese guy lands and you know dies and all that stuff, he gets dragged off by the Long John, and the kid's clacking the spoons to the Yo, rhythm of the feet. So if speak. anybody ever questioned if Guillermo del Toro was Mexican in his English language debut, you have a kid named Chewie. <laughs> Gosh, dude, I know Chewy, Manny, Chewy, Manny, yeah, exactly, dude. And the kid is special; he's autistic. It's never said, no, but it's pretty obvious, man. Come on, yeah, exactly. But it's pretty obvious. And another thing of note: this is kind of a trademark. Think about Chronos. Think about this film in particular. Some of these other films to follow: Pan's Labyrinth, Devil's Backbone. Focus on kids in typically a relationship with a grandparent, kid, grandparent, Catholic, bug. 
Catholic. <laughs> we're nailing Guillermo del Toro so I mean, far. Yeah, exactly. There's four big themes right there. We're ten minutes Motifs. into the movie, and we're like, oh, GDT's all over this. This is Yeah, this is him, 100%. So that was something that jumped out to me as soon as I saw it. It's like, okay, this right at home. So the kid, Chewie, that is, he starts to call the creature what he hears in the rhythm Funny, funny shoes. Funny shoes. Yeah, Mr. Funny Shoes. I thought that was kind of cute. It was kind of good. Not too long after this, there's two kids who wind up showing up to, I guess, the museum. Is that where she works? Yeah. So this is interesting because it's one of the changes from the theatrical cut to the director's cut. The theatrical cut, it's not cross-dressing that the dude's into. Because when you come in on the chicks, she's like, yeah, I was, you know, I went out on a date with this guy and, you know, I thought everything was going great. But then he told me that he likes to wear women's underwear. Yeah. And then she starts calling him a fucking pervert. And it's weirdly like perverts. It's kind of weird kink shaming at a stretch. It's maybe even transphobic, to be honest. But he put that in. In the theatrical version, she says something else. And I was like, that's kind of a weird one to put back in. Right. But I think I figured it out because there's nothing else in the movie to back up this bit of it. Later on in the movie, when they're theorizing why the Long Johns look like humans, it's like, well, some things mimic their predators. But there's no point where humans have been acting in an antagonistic role towards the bugs for the most part. You could argue when she pinned the one earlier in the movie, but that happens so late that that doesn't explain why they look like humans, right? Exactly. She just, that was reactionary. So I feel like even though it hasn't technically been happening in a thematic way, it's setting up humans as being against things trying to be unlike what they're naturally given, I guess. Hmm, interesting. I was gonna- it sets them up as a natural, like, this is something that we don't like. You know what I mean? Because there's nothing else to indicate that they're predators. And I think that's part of Guillermo being like, what they made me do doesn't make sense. This is the best I can do to work it back in. Like, All right. I want to take 100% responsibility for what I'm about to say. So mm-hmm. this is all on me. But I'm going to stick with the theme of Long John <laughs> and the trench coat look. And being that this is supposed to be in New York City. Flashers. Flashers, perverts. There's sexual mm-hmm. deviancy. So... I'm just saying, I don't know. <laughs> but you could call those predators, sexual predators, mm-hmm. the hiding in the shadows. <laughs> but, you know, that's just, I'm half-ass joking, but I think there's some validity to what you're saying, though. Yeah, I'm just not quite sure how to put it, but I feel like it's the only thing in this movie up until that line later on that indicates that we would be naturally against what they're doing. Yeah, it can be weird if you want to put it in that context or just strange, odd, etc., to what we perceive as normal or what some people might perceive as normal. I guess part of the reason I think this is because, like we said, we fucking love some GDT. Oh, yeah. We know what he's about. We're already picking out like these things that are very classic GDT in this movie. He loves monsters. And <laughs> yeah, he gives obvious. monsters he gives monsters humanity all the time. Shape of water, the oh, fucking dude. creature isn't the monster right exactly and there's other scenes in this movie and if you take into account the way he wanted to end it that indicate that he thought of these as being more than just simple insects as well so it's another way to just think of it rather than a monster but as the other good point and how we're scared of the other even when we shouldn't be with things like kink shaming 
Solid point, man. You're right. It's the stereotypes and the biases and all these labels that we tend to put on things, like you already mentioned, that are the other strange to us. Yeah. We don't have to because we're talking about the movie that exists, not the one that should have existed. But, like, it wasn't supposed to have this explosions and fighty ending. Like, Right. Well, we get it. (laughs) We get it, though. So if you disregard that part of it, then you get into the think piece of what are these insects then. Which... If you follow GDT, that's kind of what these films make you do. They make you think. Well, it's like, no wonder he took on this project. This is right up his alley once you take those aspects out of it. Yeah, this is him through and through. So you're right. It makes sense. I read, too, that, or seen, that Steven Soderbergh and somebody else were brought on to help with the writing. Mm. And it wasn't until he brought on, I think it was Guy Robbins, to where they kind of fleshing out some things and... We've already mentioned the yeah. studio got involved, so things change. Oh, yeah. Anyway, the kids show up with a weird bug. Sorry, I got us completely no, derailed no. on literally like a 20-second addendum. but It's still important. It's still a part of this whole movie in its process. And like I said, the think tank behind it. Mm-hmm. Anywho, you're right. The two kids show up, and they have a collection of, like, butterflies, some other things. And they have a box of cornflakes with a weird bug in it. <laughs> And they sell it to her for like 10 bucks and some other change. And this kid's like, this is supposed to be our meal ticket. I'm like, shut the fuck up with that nonsense. But I mean, I get it. It's their kids. Yeah. yeah. But still. Um, I love that scene. I love those kids. But it's also <laughs> like, if you didn't know the Judas bug is in there. Dude. Have you been paying any attention? Like, she don't need to open that up. You know what's in there. You would think. But no, she finds out. Because later on, she winds up opening up the box she sees it. Oh, she's like, oh, you're just a baby. Until that baby tries to clamp down on her. You've already mentioned she stabs it. There happens to be one of the evolved. I guess we kind of learn a little bit later on because the way that they kind of set this up was that they've turned into like these soldiers. Right. So when the kids are still there, she has that little expository scene with the with one the of termites. Them. Yeah. And she talks Yeah, with the kid. And... First off, as she's talking about it, she starts mixing with the pronouns and shit so that, or not the pronouns, I don't know if I'm using, she starts playing with it so that she's describing them as being the termites that they're watching. Yeah. To get them more into that, which if we go back to like GDT theming things, like guess what? He's saying that we're all just kind of the same. We're all parts yeah. of the natural system. He's Once again, he's just setting up the insect as an other rather than a monster. Right, and that's a solid point too. Because the kid, he's like, they would suck just having to eat furniture. She's like, no, these things were building castles while, you know, mm-hmm. dinosaurs were just lizards and all that stuff. So, I mean, she's starting it up. And lots of movies have a version of that exposition sequence. And I thought this was one of the better times I've seen it done, yeah. to be completely honest. I agree. And it sets up things in the film. It sets up the whole It sets up idea. why she doesn't get killed right away. It sets that's up why, the king. I was going to say, that's why it makes sense why all these guys are getting killed off. Mm-hmm. Or while they're sacrificing themselves as well. One of the other additions, while we're in this little sequence here, 10 seconds long, wasn't in the theatrical cut when she's showing how different calls can lure in males. Oh, really? That's not in the theatrical cut. That's but interesting. the very next scene, we see that when she finally sticks the weird bug and it's sitting there chirping and brings in the male. Hello. <laughs> You're right. Why do you cut that 10 seconds? I don't know, man. They're like, oh, you're sexualizing this scene. I'm like, do you know who the producers are on this film? <laughs> what are you talking about? 
but like that's what makes the next scene make sense right it totally does and why it makes sense why it would kill the kids for going down in the thing like dude so much of the shit is all set up and how they're able to come up there and find them in the first place why it's there because by normal movie logic if you cut that scene out it's just doing the dumb it for some reason knows and has shown up here right i think they're (sighs) maybe they're like oh let's keep it a little bit more mysterious it's like no then you're throwing away like logic logic (laughs) not just movie logic well and the importance of being able to keep the colony going these things being engineered to not be able to breed and then being able to is all mirrored with her and her husband trying for so long not being fertile finally being able to come around to breed in the end there's a lot of parallels here and you're right i think it's still trying to drive home the point as to not see these things as creatures per se right it's just an other another one of the scenes that's lengthened in the director's cut that i think is almost a minute shorter in the theatrical cut is the introduction of the detectives uh yeah or uh, the detective josh brolin yeah and how he works with what's his name mr man yeah (laughs) (laughs) dr man dr man because that scene gets cut out you miss two parallels you miss one mirroring and one parallel you have a mirror from the beginning to later on in the end with josh bringing dr man down into somewhere that is human disgusting and then later on in the movie you have dr man bringing josh down into somewhere where he's bug disgusting which is a fucking hilarious scene yeah there's your mirroring you have the parallels with literally the disgusting place and how humans will do this to other humans just as well as these insects do it not even how humans will do it to other humans. Humans, when they are strong enough and able to subjugate others, will do it just as well as these insects will take prisoners and use them to their own ends and put them into these disgusting places. Who would do this? Who would fling shit up onto the walls? That's what happens when you have 15 people living in a single room. Or Dude, it was more yeah. than that, right? Like two oh, dozen yeah. or something like that? It's crazy. It's With no toilet and no paper. Or one toilet and no paper. Right. I think that's a solid point. It shows that we'll still resort to kind of animalistic behavior, or in this case, insect behavior as well. Yeah, when you're forced <laughs> to, or when that's just the circumstance. Yeah, part of the environment that you're in, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, once again, that was all cut, too. Well, that's their loss, man. <laughs> that's their loss. Which, by the way, this is showing just how much of a film can be saved with just six minutes. Man, it's crazy, but... Right? Yeah. I mean, even that... Because if you lose that scene, you lose the explanation of why it shows up. It starts to lose some of its meaning. And in this case, I mean, some very important meanings. All right. After Susan, she gets the bug. We've already mentioned she stabs Mm -hmm. it because it attacks her. The long john comes up, comes back, and it doesn't attack her. You already kind of alluded to that. But instead, it gets the specimen, the baby, Mm -hmm. and flees. This kind of coincides with what you've already mentioned. That well, it kind of flees. It's just like a bug to you open the oh, window right. to let it, it out, hides and up. it doesn't go out. There I did right like away. that. It's buzzing around, being a fucking nuisance. Goddamn you open bugs. the window, and it just won't go the fuck out right away. <laughs> Flies are the worst of that. <laughs> so you've been trying for the last day. No, it gives the Hollywood <laughs> yeah. creep out. Which is good. I mean, it, it was expected, but yeah. you know, that's okay. It's just to give you the feel of the threat, Doctor Man. He, at first, is kind of blowing her off a little bit. You know, he's telling her that she doesn't need to be working at night. And 
making a long story short is because of what happened and, and the consequences and she's trying to relate to him that hey this thing the dna or whatever matched with these judas breeds so we know that they're breeding it's either this or a leaf cutter ant in the amazon yeah dude no nah. <laughs> it's not a fucking ant so what do they do they got to find out where these kids found this bug you know and it leads them back to the subway station they wind up picking the lock but it also sets up other characters the officer norton character manny i mean we've already know who they are but it shows what manny does he's a shoe shiner and the reason why the kid knows all about the shoes and stuff like that you know so you start to have these little interactions with some of these characters which is nice yo dude yeah because kid was like walking wiki feet dude yeah he knew the <laughs> shoe size the width oh the make, the make. if it's a the rhythm make. the rhythm yep. of the walk as well i think he could probably tell you the height of the person based off the walk so yeah he had some rain man stuff going on <laughs> you know i liked all that he's stuff. the future founder of wiki feet dude wiki feet and he was good with metal working as well oh yeah, yeah. dude like for real pretty tight. i don't know if they still exist but like oh, somebody dude. needs to make like a recreation of fucking mr funny shoes sculpture because that yeah. shit was boss it would look good in here yeah what mr funny shoes i say mr funny shoes hell yeah dude i thought those wire sculpture things were fucking awesome looking i did too i was like whoa this kid's got a little bit more going on than just clickety clack <laughs> mr funny shoes what we know at this point is once they break in it kind of gives them an idea of there's something going on underneath they need to do a little bit more discovery. Norton kind of, he's a little bit pissed off, but mm-hmm. Mr. Man, he's got some pull, right? He's headed at CDC. All this really amounts to is them going back down there eventually, right? I don't know how far you want to skip ahead because it's pretty straightforward from here on out. Right. Well, first, we should point out, I was not expecting the kids to get so fucked up. Yeah, that kind of ends the first act, I believe. You're right, because mm-hmm. the kids go back down there after she asks them if they had seen the egg sacks down there. Yeah. She gives it a different name. She gives it the it technical name. Yeah. I don't remember the technical I, name. It started with like two O's. That's all mm-hmm. I remember. But it's like Uthika or some shit. Anyway, they're like, no, 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 no. So they go back down there in the subway station on the literally on the tracks and they find one. They go poking around and then that's when they get attacked. Also, I thought it was hilarious because this scene happens right after they're having a hard time with fucking Leonard getting past the door and shit. And they're like having to go back and get the proper permits and shit. And it just cuts to the next scene. Just <laughs> the kids down there. They just know the way. It's like, yeah, kids didn't need any permits. <laughs> they're kids. They all belly. They got fucked up. And you're right. I wasn't expecting that. And they did it tastefully, too. Yeah, you don't really see anything. No, the but one you see kid. enough to know he gets real fucked up. Yeah, the black kid, he gets fucked up. And then the second kid, we don't see anything, but the flashes, you know, he got fucked up. Mm-hmm. Fucking black kid got like a little bit munched on and like disemboweled and stabbed through a number like, of times God damn. but i think little white boy on the ground got his fucking face munched pretty much right away yeah that wasn't pretty susan winds up meeting an old colleague of hers dr gates f murray abraham and they have a discussion and she asks him essentially whether or not what she did was right by you know releasing the judas bugs or the judas breed and he oh, yeah. you know he goes on this should we point that out real quick like yeah. of course this shit was gonna go bad if you're gonna call it the judas fucking uh, the, the name alone it's gonna, i mean i'm gonna stab you in I the back why? <laughs> in this case it could literally i get that it's supposed to stab the cockroaches in the back but the cockroaches 
aren't the maker. You're the maker. Which I, it makes sense why they had that Frankenstein conversation. Mm-hmm. So Jesus wasn't a peer of Judas, exactly. if, if you believe the mythology. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> Jesus and God are one and the same. So Judas stabs the maker in the back. You're right. The Holy Trinity, dude. So you're dumb for naming it Judas. That's what on did you. you. Expect? Yeah. That's on you. Well, if you would have named it the Benedict Arnold bug. Okay, we get it. We got it. That makes sense. But in this case, too, because it has a biblical connotation, it leads right back into the Catholicism thing. Mm-hmm. That slant makes sense. All right. The conversation leads to this. He tells her he would have thought it was an abomination three years prior, but since that time, he's had two grandchildren who have survived to this point, so he can't judge her. But because all their work was done in a lab, they released it out into the open, and guess what? Things change. This is the real world, a much larger lab, mm-hmm. hence why they've evolved. That line actually really funnily reminded me of my complaints I see about video games sometimes. Mm-hmm. Now, some games obviously do ship with egregious bugs, but every once in a while I see people being like, well, didn't they fucking test that? I'm like, yeah, they probably tested it for like 10,000 hours. The problem is... <laughs> They just put this game out, a million of you bought it, and so your first hour of playing is a million play hours. Exactly. That's a lot compared to 10,000. That's 10,000. They did what they could, but it's a whole different beast when it's out in the wild. Dude, are you kidding me right now? (laughs) Because that million people are going to do things that they could have never thought of in 10,000 hours. Crazy. And that's just the first hour of gameplay. What do you expect? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, and it makes sense, man. <laughs> but that's a, a solid point, though, right? All right, here we go. Chewie, he gets exploratory. Chewie the Explorer. <laughs> Mainly because of what Manny told him earlier, too. He's like, you know, hey, even though it says Jesus saves, that is not a holy place. But because he knows the, mm-hmm. you know, Mr. Funny Feet's being over there, he goes explorers. He winds up essentially getting kidnapped. All of it's pretty decent, though. It has the hallmarks of GDT. I think a portion of the scene after the one that has the judge from The Witch. Yeah, Julian Richings and Norman Reedus, all those guys. I mean, Norman Reedus was in the theatrical cut, but when they're actually down, like, retrieving the shit, Mm -hmm. some of that was even added back in with the director's cut. I could see that, probably because of the kid stuff. Yeah, I think he just added it in to heighten the tension to be like, oh shit, is it Chewy? Because it comes yeah. right afterwards. Yeah. Is this Chewy? And so that it's was like, extended no. just a little bit more to yeah, make it like... It didn't even explain... I mean, we know, but it didn't explain who the kid was. No. At that point. Once you find out it's not Chewy, then you're like, well, then it had to have been one of the other kids. Because kids are just biting it at this point. <laughs> yeah, unless it's just some other random-ass kid, but I don't think so. However, as far as, like, GDT goes, like, of course the quote-unquote weird kid Hmm. who can act like the quote-unquote monsters is the one to survive unscathed another solid point you know what i mean like i see you gdt (laughs) (laughs) no he's doing a lot of parallels man it made sense when the kid was clacking i'm like okay well not even just parallels but like i see you in that fucking character gdt Mm. (laughs) no 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 that makes sense too i know what you're saying (laughs) i see what you're saying yeah solid point 
We know you're the kid that loves monsters. You don't have to tell. Maybe you did have to tell us back in '97. We didn't know that shit yet. Not quite yet, but you know that's the solid point that he likes to interject himself, his influence, his life. Mm-hmm. Well, because yeah, because he's also fucking Charlie Day and Pacific Rim, dude. In a way, yeah. Um, Can't fault him, man. Yeah, we could go on anyway. <laughs> we'll yeah, go so. on with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Officer Norton, Peter Mann, and John Maslow, Josh Brolin. They're all down in the maintenance tunnels, and they get to a point where, who is it, Norton and Dr. Mann, they fall over to the bottom, and they try to get Josh Brolin to, you know, go back out to get somebody to get the key so they can get the fuck out of there. Anyway, all this leads to is Josh Brolin getting killed. His character's kind of weird. I think you've already mentioned it, too. It's like, he was kind of like an unnecessary character, really, in the film, if yeah, you think about it. I kind of wonder who's called he was like is he in the version gdt wanted to I make i kind of don't I mean? think so but maybe i mean perhaps maybe just a much different role possibly that's a, another solid point too but yeah his character felt a little out of place even his death was kind of like uh it was fine yeah i mean i'm not saying like that i'm just saying like yeah we kind of knew it was coming yeah that's kind of what i'm getting at it's like uh, ah, yeah. you didn't really feel anything like it was good yeah but yeah well yeah i mean <laughs> big surprise <laughs> you could be surprised when he opens up the closet and you see the eggs well that's that is a surprise eggs, but you know that's like his fate's already written at that point yeah he knows you too don't much. get between a mom and her fucking eggs no you've seen too much you know too much you're done and so that's what happens that's another thing i put dr gates he was informing remy mainly too because i think we skipped over a little bit is Norman Reedus gives a little expo about what they found. Oh, right. That insect. And he's like, yeah, you know, I'll play in a bass in the band with Remy. <laughs> he does all that nonsense. But he said it reminded him that anything that has four legs is a mammal and anything that's not, to give you a call. Right? <laughs> and I was like, you know what? The creature design on that, the effects stuff look really good. It gives you some important, I think, a little bit important info because that's where you learn that they're soldiers. Yes. Yeah. Because of the way they evolved. Because it's Remy and Dr. Gates who are looking at it. Is that the one that they take the pictures of that she mad magazines the face later? I think so. Okay. I believe so. Which, that was cool. Yeah. And, then we, and it's after that point that they're not as afraid to show you it on the big bugs. And it always looks cool. Because the creature design's fucking dope. At this it point. is. And it looks good. It's still effective. And it's fucking creepy. I agree. And, like, sure, it would have been cool if it was more of the, the like, Dark Shadow Man concept. But if you're not going to have that, this creature design is fucking killer. That's what I'm saying. The special effects teams all across the board did a fantastic job. For 97 as well? Are you kidding me? And you know what? That's one of those things that I think if it was normal execs and the meddling wouldn't have been heavy-handed, I feel like would have been an okay compromise. I think if, yeah, they, if, I think if the fair. studio wants a more creaturey creature rather than Shadow Man creature, I think there's ways to still make it work. Yeah, you can still compromise and make it effective. Mm -hmm. I agree. I don't think that would have been too much of a... I mean, I feel like that's something he could have given in on, I guess yeah. is what I'm saying. Because I do like what we kind of got from it, so... No, I agree, man. It still looks good. It's still effective, like I said. In between all of this stuff, Susan, she gets abducted because she's waiting on Peter, who's supposed to meet her. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we find out all that stuff. But anyway... In between, like I said, we talked about Josh Brolin getting killed. And not only that, but while they're down there, Dr. Mann and Officer Norton, Manny, 
because he's looking for Chewie, winds up coming across them. And I think he's the one who mentioned that he heard the woman mm. that oh, needed yeah. help. And so they find Susan, they get her out. But Wait, so first, yes, she only needs help because she was dumbass and almost got herself killed when she You're right. Up. You're right. We got to talk about this because this is one of the parts that bugged me. Like, she has been super on top of the bug shit. Later on, the movie requires her to be super on top of the bug shit. And she's awesome. Like, she's fucking cutting out scent glands and coming up with plans for all of them and stuff. But in this one moment where she, after having just been abducted <laughs> and deposited in a larder, decides to just draw all of the attention <laughs> in the world to herself by screaming for help rather than putting any of her knowledge to use. Like, I feel like she should be like, well, if... I was in the larder and this was based on a termite den then the exit should be over here she rather than has... help help me i'm opening myself up to get eaten by anything because i have no escape even if somebody shows up in the next 10 seconds which begs the question perhaps do you think that's some studio influence fuck yeah 100 <laughs> that's the dumbest fucking move i think any character makes in this entire movie 100 agree that's just to ramp up more tension and give it more of that action beat the suspense but it throws away all logic in the face of it yeah it is dumb that's dumb. it's so fucking dumb they do eventually go find her the witch the entire time i was waiting for one of them to get attacked from behind because the last time we saw <laughs> there was insects up on that level with her and and that wasn't that long ago right <laughs> but when they go to rescue her she's still the one in danger because it's suddenly coming up from underneath i don't know what was more underneath than where she was but yeah i don't know she was fucked had they not had found her yeah that's all i know i was thinking yeah it's... although really they should have just been fucked even getting into that room oh yeah but you know this is a movie yeah <laughs> you know they escape they make it back down to a subway cart in the tunnels and while they're escaping too one of them does kind of fly in they shoot it and that's officer norton yo it's legitimately it scary good. how fucking much damage they can take and how much it seemed like a legit just giant fucking bug trying to fuck it oh my god fuck that noise so hard a little side note real quick little tangent i have seen some fossilized insects at like an insectarium mm -hmm. when i was in montreal they had some african like beetles and moths and fuck all that noise it's <laughs> <laughs> like holy shit dude australia is no better from what i understand <laughs> No offense, but I just, I know the size of the bugs and insects and shit. And I'm like, holy fuck. And then you put it on that scale, that becomes nope. horrifying. Nope. And it can fly and <laughs> move like that. Are you kidding me? And like, and I think we've <laughs> all, like, at least as kids, like, no matter how you feel once you get older and you think <laughs> about life, like as kids, you're stomping on bugs and shit. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what kids and do. And so we've all seen just how much they keep moving when you, like... Oh, dude. fuck them up <laughs> like damn they took an ass woman <laughs> and so everything that happened in that giant Phew. action beat felt believable and that was fucking scary as shit no way man because he still gets fucked up no yeah. one does yeah i'm saying his leg gets fucked up good that was kind of you knew that was coming I'm, of course but 
the whole point is, is everything up so to that point was authentic. real good yeah like damn that thing is scary and then you get i mean honestly this doesn't matter this is nitpicky it's just really kind of funny because <laughs> movies do this shit all the time so i don't know if this was gdt i don't know if this was studio but they try to explain two things really quickly <laughs> they point out the lungs right it requires more than that just the way insects are designed they can't get as big as us Mm-mm. just the way that their body is composed even with lungs they can't get as big as us it requires more than that physiology all that stuff structure but they tried i mean yeah granted they tried the other funny thing is the bad math so mir sorvino tries to explain like don't think of it in years think of it in generations because it's only been three years they're like how did this get to this and they're like well they were you know bred to have a super quick life cycle which means da 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 anyway so she said it adds up to maybe tens of hundreds of thousands of generations so if you even lowball it at 200,000 generations that would mean they grew and reproduced at almost 200 generations a day which meant that each one would have to go to egg to reproductive adult in 10 minutes They've already laid the framework that these Judas breeds had a lifespan of, what was it, three to six months tops, something yeah. like that? So if we're working off that time frame... Nah. Even in the wild. Yeah, even in the wild. Just bad math. And guess what? Like I said, I don't know whose problem this was. I think they were just trying to really quick move past it, because somebody yeah. was going to ask this question. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're right. Let's like breeze through this shit. It's a moment. But it almost real quick. It almost makes me wonder, like, why didn't they just? It doesn't have to be three years later. Right. Make it ten years later. Yeah. Why'd it have to be three? Make it fifteen years later. What's the significance of three? An omen number, perhaps. I don't know. All it changes is who you cast. That's it. That's it. And it makes it make more sense in a way. They didn't do that. As much more sense as it's ever going to make. <laughs> but don't have a character say tens of hundreds of thousands of generations in three years without somebody doing even a little bit of like on your fingers math. <laughs> well, I don't believe it. I'm going to call bullshit. <laughs> Especially because we have also literally seen them not growing that old that quickly. See, I'm like, even if you are a scientist, I don't believe that. Not for one minute. Anyway, yeah, like I, I said, th- I think it does tie into the whole like science is bad. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. All right. Because of some of the noise that's been going on in the cart, it attracts the attention. Well, yeah, because it's been all the noise. <laughs> exactly. And I do think it's realistic that they didn't all come in right away, though, after he unloaded, like, two clips. Because, yes, that noise gathers attention, but when it's that loud of a noise that repeatedly, mm-hmm. it's going to drive even predators off. Oh, yeah. They were like, what the fuck was Animals that? don't like that shit. No. They might investigate it after they, like... Gird their fucking like, loins, uh, you know what I mean? Right. Yep, I'm good. Everything is chill. <laughs> right, it's been quiet for a few minutes. All right, let's slowly move in. Check out, see, see what that was about. Yeah, let's let's see what the hell has happened. Do some rubbernecking. <laughs> I actually thought that the fact that they weren't there right away <laughs> no, was kind good. of a nice touch. That is good because it takes the attention away for not only them but for also for us as an audience. Mm-hmm. Because when they do attack, then it's like, oh shit! Now what do you do? And this is where she reverts back to her knowledge base and she's like oh let's go ahead and take these scent glands and rub it all over ourselves and Mm -hmm. the inside of the you know the train cart and all that stuff because they're going to think that we're one of them they mimic us we mimic them that's what she says 
and it tends to work. But now they need to get the fuck out and a look for Chewy, find a way out, all that good stuff. Our man is losing a lot of blood, Officer Norton. That is. Mm-hmm. We haven't really mentioned it, but Peter Mann, who is Susan's husband, he knows that she's pregnant because there's a scene earlier on where they have a a moment where it looks like she's not pregnant because she took a you know a birth test or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's not until later where he finds it in the trash, but he he doesn't tell her. He doesn't say anything. And so he, instead of her going out, he's like, let me go out. And he's going to connect the wires, all that shit. That scene thematically confused me at first, or maybe not even thematically, but like plotline wise, because if that scene happened 40 minutes earlier, it would be the thing to be like, tell the audience, like, sometimes things can still have babies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the fucking, it's the Jurassic Park fucking life finds a way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But by the time that scene happens, we already know that the Judas Bugs have survived. So I was wondering why they threw that in. Yeah. Then I realized that's also, they're the same as us. They survived, we survive. Except it happens just to be their family rather than... Yeah, exactly, man. So with this knowledge... Peter goes out. He's going to wire up these wires that Norton tells him about to power up the station that they're in in the cart so mm-hmm. they can get the fuck out of there. Manny decides he's going to go out looking for Chewie, which he finds Chewie, but he also inadvertently finds, I believe that's one of the few moments that's the king, perhaps, that takes him out. Yeah. Okay, because we know it's not supposed to end all explosion-y and shit. So I'm going to guess the focus on the king was mostly executive meddling. I could see I that. think the king played a part in GDT's version. Mm-hmm. Maybe even one that they had to take out through violence, although maybe not an explosion. But... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, when we think of colony creatures, you think of the queen. Like, all the time. Termites, mm-hmm. ants, ants yeah, bees. fucking xenomorphs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, everyone thinks of the queen because they're the ones laying new ones obviously they need to be fertilized there's only one fertile male so that's why they're focusing on the king but they never even question where the queen is yeah in this case and we never see a queen Mm -mm. i think it's really funny too that they're all very much assuming that they're catching this at the beginning of it happening (laughs) like she was asking uh leonard the fucking the detective like does this connect to the main fucking train stations and shit he's like yeah she's like oh well then they're gonna use it to get out and like go infect other places and da 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 and i'm like you're so adorable thinking that they're not already out yeah you don't need to be human size to leave you can be dog size and probably sneak other places easier dude you don't have to have already evolved all of this to suddenly be able to leave they're gone they're in other cities based off of her earlier logic by her math skills lack thereof they're way gone. They're all over the fucking They're all over New York. <laughs> Not, Not just, just New the York. island. Yeah. 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 All over New York State. They're beyond that, bro. Yeah, they're probably they're hopping borders. <laughs> yeah, Jer- Jersey's fucked. But yeah, by it's her own logic. It's adorable that they think that this is the beginning of it. Oh, no. This is like the strain kind of shit. Yeah. It's, it's already far spread. You're just not aware of it. So if I was them... Yeah, I'd be worried about the king because there's only supposed to be one fertile one. We but know they were of. also supposed to only live a couple months. Right. I'd be trying to find that queen, bro. Well, okay. Let's put a little lamp there. A little lamp yeah, right there. Yeah, actually, I wanted <laughs> I wanted to mark that too because... <laughs> yeah, there's some implications I, I, with that, I think. If you're going to bring up what GDT wanted as the ending... Well, a little bit there, yeah, but... Because <laughs> I think that was supposed to be the queen. 
I was going to say the fact too, <laughs> that there are sequels in this series. Mm -hmm. So I haven't seen any of them. Like I already mentioned this first mm -hmm. time I've actually watched the mimic, but chance to reason. Well, I know in at least one of the sequels, like they're in like most major cities. Okay. There you go. So that's what I'm saying. We're right here at the end, man. Yeah. Peter does. He uses glasses, connects the power. It doesn't necessarily, I mean, it, it does work, but the cart kind of peters out. We've already mentioned Manny died. Chewie's kind of stranded. Well, we mentioned Manny died, but I do have to say that it's that's another fucked up. fucked up moment that he it gets really is. shreds in front of fucking Chewie. In front of Chewie. And on top of it, Chewie is, that's not even, I don't think his blood relative. I think he's just, just like a yeah. caretaker or some shit. Yeah. So now he's orphaned. Even more orphaned. Yeah, and he's a special kid on top of it who doesn't even go to school Just on top of that. His fucking caretaker get ripped apart. Apart. The point that I'm about to make is there's no fucking way in hell that Chewie moved off the tracks in time. No. <laughs> he would have been clickety-clacking that shit until they got hit. He would have been matching the fucking rhythm of the fucking track. <laughs> yeah, until he got hit. I was thinking the same thing, dude. There's no way that the kid that we have seen this entire movie gets off those fucking tracks in time. No fucking way. I don't buy that either. <laughs> All right. Susan finds Chewie mm -hmm. because she goes out. And then Peter finds them, and they hide, but they're getting followed. Officer Norton sees it from the train cart. And because he already was singing earlier, they already set that up, he starts to sing again to draw the attention mm -hmm. away from them to him. So he sacrifices himself. Peter winds up putting Susan and Chewie in like this little elevator thing, sends them up. He's gonna wind up looking for the king, try to kill it, whatever. It amounts to him causing a spark and an explosion where he makes it out in time. We don't know that necessarily at that point, <laughs> but he makes it out in time. It causes the whole thing to explode. We ever talk about the explosions. It seems that everything's hunky-dory. Susan and Chewie are out. They look down in the tunnel. Chewie starts to call out. I mean, it kind of looks like there might be one of the Long Johns, you know, right. one of the, you know. And then, no, it's Peter, and they have what appears to be a happy ending. So does Chewie just kind of latch? Is he a latch-on kid now? Does he latch onto them? Yeah, I mean, they're going to have their own kid, but, like, that ending seemed to implicate that they're about to adopt Chewie. Like, I know nobody said anything. It's literally a second after they find out he's alive. <laughs> But you don't frame them like that unless the implication is that they're going to adopt Chewie. Right. But beyond There's that... There's never been any implications that they were ever going to do that to begin with. No. F. Murray Abraham was talking to her, and it's like, I don't know why he's the one giving her this info and not one of the police, but like, we swept the area twice. There's no way anything could have survived. And she's like, not even one of us. <laughs> Nobody in this movie ever gets to decide whether something can survive or not again. No, absolutely not. Not even scientists, CDC, Nobody in this entomologists, movie none of it. Gets to decide how long a creature has. Human, insect, or otherwise, they are all fucking terrible at it. Well, if we know anything about cockroaches, termites, all that stuff, they're going to be here long after we're gone. They were here long before we even existed. <laughs> and there's right. a lot of them. So I know how GDT wanted to end this. And with the changes he made and with the things that we've been pointing out about like the similarities and stuff it makes so much more sense it was supposed to end with a perfect mimic walking up to dr tyler putting its finger on her lips kind of like a shoe and saying one word 
leave. Mm. That's awesome. I think the perfect mimic was probably supposed to be the queen. Yeah. Shows how they're just like us. It's just a different society. It ties back to what she was telling the kid way earlier in the movie with like, oh yeah, this shit doesn't really attack or anything unless its space gets invaded. Mm, hello. <laughs> leave them alone. Right. Midnight me train, leave them alone. Stay on um, subway trains. <laughs> I think the other ending, though, that got shot but not used is like her and the kid gets out and they get up on the street and there's just like a hundred mimics or like it looks like a hundred people just like out there at first and then it becomes a little bit more obvious that they're mimics and they start moving towards them Uh, (laughs) i also heard some information that the character of peter mann was actually supposed to be played by an african-american so it was supposed to have the ending was supposed to be an african-american male white female and a latin kid oh that's cool but that we didn't get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that was like, I almost I think I'm almost certain it was the distributor or the production companies that didn't want to have an interracial couple in this film at all. So, and also coming out from the first English language film from a Mexican director. I do. Yeah, I know. Right. That's like, that's too progressive right now. 97. We're not ready for that. By the way, we were ready for it. Of course, I'm being... (laughs) I know. I'm just... Anyone out (laughs) there who didn't catch it, by the way, please, you should have given it to us. Come on, man. We're far beyond that. Even back in 97, we should have been far beyond that. But that was kind of the interesting thing. It's like, you have this studio interference with that. I was going to say, even the real actors, Mira Sorvino and Northam, they did not get along, apparently, on set. Oh, yeah, I heard that. Like... They really did not like each other, right? Well, you couldn't tell. Not in this film, no. you couldn't. So there was that. I also heard, because of Bob Weinstein coming in and doing all his shit, that there was a simple argument that got blown out of proportion where it came down to whether or not Mann's character, Peter Mann, was supposed to wear glasses or not in the film. Jesus Christ. Like I said, And it became a nightmare for Del Toro. You can read all about it. He's talked about it. I mean, it's so fucking nitpicky and stupid. It's once again, it's good on Del Toro because we see where he went and the direction he went in. It's a huge loss for Miramax and Dimension Films because they're fucking idiots. Yeah. Not just for this film's reason, but for other big reasons. Every studio that continues to not fund Guillermo Del Toro's At the Mountains of Madness are also idiots. Yeah, big fucking idiots. <laughs> so we're kind of talking to you, Elijah Wood. Time for you to step up, bro. I don't know the exact context or like what it is because I have yet to read the short story, but it does end with a twist as well nice. that I will spoil. Oh, I'll go cool with that. You find out that the Long Johns aren't the only creatures that have learned to mimic humans. Sweet. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> That's Which, dope, right? I like that, yeah. <laughs> We've already learned, and the film kind of sets up a little expo with this too. It's like they talk about all the other types of, not all the other, mm-hmm. but just a few examples of other creatures that mimic things in nature. Mm-hmm. There you go. Without having read it, I'm going to go octopus. Mm, yeah. I don't think that I'm right. I think it's probably some other insect. That'd be dope, though. Sea creature mimicking mm-hmm. whatever. That'd be awesome. Hmm. Insects here, maybe lizards. Who knows? Yeah, maybe li- yeah, lizard people. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give any more credence to that shit, right? Whoops. But, you know, that's kind of an easy one. 
I don't know. This was a weird one because it's so easy to see so much of the film that should have been shining through. Yeah. And yet I still enjoyed I still enjoyed what we got, even with the ending. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not a bad film. Like I said, it's a good companion piece, I think, to Relic. It just um, should have been. It could have been so much more Del Toro, and we gave you all the reasons why it wasn't. So, you know, but regardless, it's still a, a pretty solid film. I'd say, yeah, definitely watch the director's cut. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's no reason to ever watch the theatrical cut. No, it's cut only of this six more minutes. Again. That was another point I was going to make is, you know, theatrical cuts at an hour 45. Mm-hmm. What's an hour 51? Right. <laughs> at that point, come on. Oh, speaking of which, so all that added six minutes all occurs before the hour 10 mark. Hour 15 at the latest, but I think it was hour 10 when I was taking a look at timestamps. Yeah, I think you've already mentioned it was more like some relationship stuff, dialogue, maybe a little bit more character stuff. That's about but it. sets yeah, up all it. the mirroring for later on. Right. You, no, no, no. all taken out. It makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah and those themes and motifs mm-hmm. and things it's, like that. It's so crazy how much of a difference six minutes can make. Oh, dude, yeah. Yeah, because that's important stuff in this film. Mm-hmm. Solid point. But that's, you know... Who knows what could have been had they let him not just keep his vision, but not have got rid of all his old stuff that he wanted in the first place. Yeah, just let him off the Stop leash that. early. <laughs> Stop doing that. You know what I mean? Like, don't hire a director to execute your vision. If you have a vision, become a fucking director. Right. No. Hire a director to execute their vision. All right. A few other points, just really quick. I'll go over. Federico Lupi. He played the grandfather in Kronos. Was supposed to be in this, right? Right. But because he didn't have good enough English. solid English, yeah, pronunciation, whatnot, couldn't work, didn't work. So that's why they got the other gentleman I already uh, mentioned. Earlier. Yeah, Janini. Which, you know, he did really well. No, I really liked I him. I liked him a lot. So not a huge loss. It's just unfortunate. Federico, you know. Well, I feel like as soon as I saw that Manny was a shoe shiner. I was like, yeah. this feels way too much like the grandfather from Kronos, even though it was a completely different profession. Right. But we get it. Mm-hmm. We get it. It's another little nod, but we've already mentioned the whole thing with Bob Weinstein mm-hmm. and Del Toro. There came a point where Del Toro was going to, you know, pretty much leave or get fired. And Mira Servino actually intervened and said that if that happened, then she's out. Mm, shit. Yeah. So she stood up for him at that point, which is really cool. Good on her. And I was going to say, too, it kind of makes sense. Some of the other actors, I can see why they brought in Josh Brolin. I can see why they brought in Northam. I think there was maybe even Giancarlo. What did they say? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why they brought him in, too, because of Dimension. It was owned by Bob Weinstein and Miramax. I think some of these people have already been in a couple of those, like uh, Nightwatch yeah. and some other stuff was right. some of their property. So they're like, oh, yeah, they're already... We can sense. get them in, yeah. So there was a little bit of that. But anyway... Okay, so yeah, where where would you put Ron Perlman into this movie? Mm. Right, need to think about this for a second. I would kind of like him to be somewhere in that mix of characters at the end. I'm just trying to think where would I like him at. An obvious one would be probably like one of the workers, but Norman Reedus maybe in Julian Richens. Oh yeah, oh <laughs> that'd be I could good. see that. Yeah, but I would want him a little bit bigger role than that. I'm just trying to think where would I want him. I was trying to think about it. I'm not sure if there's anywhere I could slot him specifically into that feels natural, but I think would have been hilarious would have just been to have based the Long John human face off of fucking Ron Perlman. As the beast from (laughs) your... 
<laughs> That'd be fucking hilarious. But no, no, no. I think that would have been kind of interesting. That would have been fucking funny. That would have been funny. But yeah, I don't know. Interesting question. I don't know. I've talked about this movie a lot now. Yeah, no, I like it said it frustrates me, but it's good. No, it was fun to finally watch it. It's one of those films too where I was aware of it. I already mentioned highly aware of who Mira Sorvino was. Didn't know who GDT was back then. Would have recognized Josh Brolin. Trying to think, I don't think I would have recognized Norman Reedus back then. Maybe a few other people. Well, uh, this was his Hollywood debut. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Well, that's probably why I wouldn't have recognized him. So that makes sense. A few other people, probably not back then either, because I was only 15 mm-hmm. when this came out. So probably not. But regardless, I don't know all these people now. Right. Yeah. And knowing all the stuff that we know, we've already talked about all it, makes more sense. Probably makes his film, once again, when we review it, I can be a little bit more lenient mm-hmm. on its final product. Yeah, you know what it went through. Like I said, I do feel like it's a movie that it's easy to see what it should have been. Yeah, because you've already mentioned you add those six minutes in and it changes things. Mm-hmm. And once you know what the changes were going towards, you can sort of extrapolate the rest. Right. It becomes a lot bigger, the picture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did we decide on next time yet? No, but I think we have a couple of decades to play with. That's right. We're, we haven't announced this out loud, but we're no. going through some very specific decades currently. So what's our options? It's either going to be a movie right. from the... The teens, 20 teens. Or... 70s, 50s, 30s, 19 teens. Well, we did a 70s already, so yeah. probably 50s or 50s, 30s. 30s, that'd be interesting. We haven't gone that far back in a while. You're 50s, right. but 30s, that's a whole Ooh, different ball that's game. That's a different ball game. That's a different ball game that I have some really interesting uh, Blu-rays of. Ooh, yo, yeah, I think you might be right. Uh, We're going to go talk about this, but for this time, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top, as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, the easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Uh, you can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ads. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace. <laughs>